Movies entertain. Entertainment leads to emotions. Those emotions connect us to our enjoyment of film. And that is why we exist. To focus on the emotional connection more than the technical merit. Because every movie makes us feel something. Happy New Year, listeners. Welcome to the first mini-sode of 2018 here on the Feelin' Film Podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Aaron, and with me is my own trusty editor and best friend, Patch. What's up, everyone? We've gotten together to talk about Steven Spielberg's newest film, The Post, a dramatization of the Washington Post's publication of the Pentagon Papers in 1971, which exposed government secrets and lies about the Vietnam War. With a cast led by superstars Tom Hanks and Meryl Streep, this story of unbiased journalism is extremely relevant and sure to land numerous Oscar nominations. Now, as always, we are a full spoiler podcast. We like to go in depth when we talk about our films and really get to the points of how they make us feel and just discuss them in all of their amazing full glory. So if you haven't seen the post yet, by all means, please get the to a theater and check it out. We definitely think that this is one that most of our listeners are going to enjoy. Would you agree, Patrick? I would absolutely agree. Since I just spoke for you, hopefully yeah. you agree. Okay. That's well, a good reporter's going to do, speak for me. Yeah, that's good stuff. Well, The Post really gets right to the point. Uh, it's a high-octane movie that doesn't really linger and take its time. It starts and it moves forward and just keeps going. So why don't we take a cue from that and do the same? And I would like to know what your thoughts are on the film because i don't even know them yet well the thing is when you get spielberg and tom hanks together or when you put them independent i'm usually going to throw my money at pretty much whatever they're in the 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 breadth of work that both steven spielberg and tom hanks have done have just just kind of solidified their place in in my world of i'm gonna go see these movies so when i heard that these guys were teaming up and bringing in Meryl Streep to kind of cinch the whole, this is going to be an amazing movie. I wanted to flock to the theater and, and see this. I was really excited when I saw the trailers for it. I actually didn't know anything or very much about the Pentagon Papers. And, and I admit that fully as being a person that doesn't know that much about history. I was, I've never been a big time history buff, even something as monumental as this. So having gotten introduced to it through this movie it makes me want to read more about uh, about the pentagon papers about more of the details and then of course what happens after that with with watergate but i i had decent to high expectations going in and leaving the movie experience i was not disappointed at all it was everything i expected it to be in terms of being exciting being interesting informative in any way that a biopic can be and more than anything, just a, a whole lot of fun in the movie. Yeah, I, I I definitely agree with you, man. It it was so it's such a slam dunk. I mean, this when you put this team together, you know that you're going to get something pretty incredible. Um, that trio of Tom Hanks, Meryl Streep, and Steven Spielberg, their career highlights are the stuff of legend, man. And it it's just, you knew that when they were going to tackle something like this, that has a, a very timely relevance to it politically, uh, especially after Meryl Streep's comments uh, last year 
during awards shows that really irritated Donald Trump and uh, <laughs> led to him saying that she had no talent, which is, yeah, he's, I mean, <laughs> pretty, pretty much fake news if you ask me. So I would say I had the same high expectations going into this one. I wanted it to be amazing. A little backstory on me. I don't know if you even know this. I assume you do. But my real dream in high school was to become a journalist. Um, I enjoyed law as well. And I thought maybe somewhere in the political science, journalism, law area is where I would end up. Didn't actually happen. And later on, you know, after that, my my dream career really was to become a newspaper editor. And that that's kind of, you know, past now because frankly, there just aren't many newspapers anymore. Um, I really enjoy stories about journalism, though, procedurals like this, investigative movies, things like the newsroom that both you and I just really, really enjoy a lot. I like seeing that behind the scenes stuff. So I knew that this one was going to be something that resonated with that part of me. The little things that that happen in this movie just are ones that stick out to me the most. Things like there was a one moment early on in the film where an intern is told, don't walk after being given a task, right? He's given something, he's supposed to run and get it to the get it somewhere else. And it somebody says, Don't walk, and you just see him sprinting. And so I've always kind of wanted to be in that world. And I just I just immediately felt myself as if I was in the film. Now, like you, I did not know almost anything about the Pentagon Papers. Frankly, I probably couldn't articulate well the depth of everything that happened at Watergate. I kind of vaguely know <laughs> about Watergate and what happened, but it's a it's kind of a hole in my historical knowledge as well. So mm-hmm. all of this was new to me. I had no idea that our government lied and and said the things that they did about the war. So I thought it was really great because I got a history lesson along with my biopic and one that I felt was, you know, pretty fairly accurate. You know, it it, it definitely is not it it has a point to to the story. It, it it's trying to get a message across. Um we don't really get to see much of what Nixon's side of this is. We don't get to hear the government's rebuttal of why they did what they did. But regardless, um, this one really was just a rousing experience for me. And after seeing it in the theater the first time, I actually wanted to stand up and clap. And that's just not something I do. I didn't do it, but I thought about it. And that's pretty meaningful for me. Yeah. Having this be a biopic about something that actually happened during our, our nation's history put a, put a different kind of weight to it when I was watching it. I mean, it's still, in some ways it felt very fictionalized, even though I knew it actually happened, but there was so much about it that felt like it was theatrical. And I'm not saying that to take away from it. I think that was incredibly good for my movie experience because I wasn't there to be informed or be educated. I was there to be entertained and I was, but I left my, my seat going, how could that have happened? And then I think about the climate that we're in right now and go, well, okay, that's probably not, very far off. But to see a snapshot of that over the course of a couple of hours about a piece of our history that did a lot, not just from a nation standpoint, but globally, 
for a war that was going on for, I think, was it over 20 years? I mean, it was a long time. But looking at that and going, man, my dad lived through that. And my grandfather was around during like the prime of all that. And so it makes me want to sit down with my dad and say, hey, what was that really like for Mm -hmm. you living through something like this? And that's probably one of the first times that I've really felt like I wanted to get more inquisitive from a testimonial standpoint. So at the very least, what the post did for me was it inspired me. You mentioned earlier about the fast pacedness. I almost wanted Aaron Sorkin's screenplay uh, to be riddled throughout this because it was that kind of fast paced stuff. It was that behind the scenes stuff that you and I both like. And in that regard, it made me feel like what was happening with the paper was important because I'm, I'm a digital guy. I, I don't subscribe to a newspaper. I grew up reading the funnies. I mean, or the comics in the thing and maybe my horoscope and possibly the sports, but I never thought about the power of the paper and the way that the press was given weight constitutionally. And so the post puts that in perspective for me. Biased for sure. I have no problems admitting that there was a slanted vantage point here, but I don't have a problem with the message that it was trying to convey from that slant. So in that regard, it made me appreciate the American newspaper even more. Yeah, me too. I mean, it, and almost somewhat regret the loss of it because you know, while a digital medium certainly has its advantages, timeliness being one of them and the amount of content that can be pushed in a fast paced um, manner, we've, we've even seen some of the, the negatives that come with that as well. And it's just, there's just a detached nature. There's something about, you know, I had a, I had a paper route very briefly when I was in high school just for a few months. And there's something about that physical actual document of picking it up in the morning and opening it up to find out what has gone on throughout the day. Um, so there, there is definitely power in that and there still is there's power in the press. Even if the, the method of delivery has changed. One of the things before we go into like thematic stuff, we were, we keep talking about this, the feeling of the film and they kind of, I love that you said it would have worked with Aaron Sorkin dialogue it probably would have. It would have been a little bit more intense and maybe a little less familial, but it would have it would have been just as exciting at times. I actually have I, I had almost like a visceral experience, re- reaction to the movie I, um, when I was rewatching it uh, to take podcast notes on it. I felt physically moved by this film, by the events that were happening. It was that kind of ex- reaction for me, and I, I just I, it was inspiring, like you said. I'm, it made me want to champion the right of the press myself. Um, and mostly it just made me really hungry for the truth, which I'm not confident that we always get as an American public. And, and that's a fair statement. And there's a, there's a definitely a question of ethics that comes up in this movie. It's, it's a big theme. There's also the one word takeaway that I found from this was determination. And determination on both sides, determination by the the Washington Post, by by Kay and her team to potentially get this news out, by the other papers uh, getting that news, by by Ben 
stealing the papers to give to somebody who's going to, who's going to publish uh, even the president, you know, president Nixon and his team, the determination for them to shut this thing down. I mean, there is a determination riddled throughout this movie by everyone involved. I think the only set group of people that we didn't see anything about was the, was the judges. You know, we just had that kind of tertiary, the judge is going to rule on this at some point. We didn't kind of get into that. And I'm glad we didn't because I think that would have been muddying the waters a bit for the film, but to get that sense of whatever the motive was, we had people that felt like what they were doing, they were fighting for what they were doing, whether it was ethically right or wrong, whether it was morally right or wrong, each group of people were really articulating the sense of determination. And, and I thought that was great. Yeah, absolutely. Um, makes you, it makes it, it makes it very relatable um, for us because they feel like real people who are making hard decisions. Right. And it feels like something we could make the choices as well because they are, they're not kind of untouchable careers for us. You know, we could, we could work in a press room. if We were qualified. Whereas, you know, we couldn't be Steve jobs. If we <laughs> you know what I mean? You know what I'm saying? Like that's, that's a little, uh, a little off our radar or Mark Zuckerberg, you know, we can't yeah. be that guy, but we could be in the newsroom for the Washington post in theory. Maybe, maybe an intern for me. I think I could be an intern running to, you know, catch a train to see who's writing what at another paper. See, see I still, I've still got the editor dreams. I, I'm grabbing <laughs> all the way. Um, well, let's, let's, I want to start off really by asking you about that first scene, because for me, I remember feeling just jarred by this opening sequence in the film. I almost thought I was in the wrong movie. I'm not kidding because it starts off with this war scene. And we immediately are in Vietnam. And I and maybe part of this, Patrick, is because you and I didn't have the knowledge of really what the Pentagon Papers were all about. And so we didn't we didn't know to expect that. But there's this this scene where our um, reporter Dan is embedded with a group of soldiers in Vietnam. And we we see them go out in the field and then they get ambushed and attacked. And then we see him writing about it before we kind of get back into the present day story flowing how did you take that scene did it work for you and do you think that it was the right choice to have that type of a different tone in the film right off the bat well anytime you start a movie with a war scene and then immediately lead into a big attack you're going to get somebody's attention um arguing back to saving private ryan the 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 normandy um, the Normandy attack was obviously a great opening sequence, but it was unexpected. I was going to, going into this, I knew I was going to get a movie about a paper. And it took me actually the second viewing uh, for this podcast specifically to really understand what was going on in context. Because one, having very little knowledge about the events that took place, two, making the connection with Ben, our informant, I guess you could call him. And catching him in the in the line of of fire within the 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 world of Vietnam, I didn't quite get it the first time. I was trying to figure out, okay, what what's going on? What's he doing here? Why is is he a reporter? What's his deal? So I'm kind of split because I liked it a lot, but I felt like his motivation, um, Dan's motivation, could have been amped up more. You know, maybe seeing 
his reaction after that big battle sequence took place, maybe showing some regret and heartache because that would have given more weight to him for me to see what he did next. Because the next two scenes later, we see him stealing this report that, you know, kicks off the whole plot of the movie. So if I had a little bit more emotional investment from him, I think that would have worked a lot better for me. Yeah, I can, I can definitely understand that. I think for me, it actually works really well once I've gotten used to it. Um, the first viewing of the film, it did linger with me and it took me a few minutes to really come back, I guess, to modern day. Well, it wasn't modern day America, but to the America of the seventies um, on our own soil once they're off of the plane. But when I rewatched the film, I actually really liked it a lot more. I, I think that it, it gave me a sense of what's going on over there. And I, and I feel like it, it adds weight to what Dan is doing. And I, I feel like it was enough of that for me because it gives me a reason. I'm like saying, okay, he's seen this now. Now, perhaps if it had been, and, and maybe this is what you're getting at, perhaps if we'd seen someone like losing their life next to him, it would have made it more obvious why he was so passionate about what was happening versus just a clip of them being attacked. Right. Um, but I just don't know if I even would have wanted that. Either way, it's a very u- different stylistic choice than the rest of the film. Well, <laughs> and, and it's you're right. And it's coupled nicely with the next scene of him in the plane, just kind of staring off into space and having to be basically shaken. Like he's got PTSD, told. just like the soldiers, right? Right. In, in many ways. Yeah. And so I, I, it worked for me the second time more. Still not quite getting me into it, but the rest of the movie made up for it. So I was fine. <laughs> Well, let's talk about the First Amendment because this movie has two major things that are running throughout it. And one of those is this fight over the First Amendment and whether or not the press has the right to expose the government secrets when the government has lied. Mm -hmm. And the other is regarding women in the workplace, essentially. But let's hit with the First Amendment first. So – Basically, this all comes about because Nixon inputs himself and tries to persuade the New York Times to cease publishing. And a federal court does that for him by claiming that the Pentagon Papers violate the Espionage Act of 1917 because they're classified. So I want to start us off with a really, really tough question, and that is around the ethics of what is being done here. Now, there's a line in this movie that I really enjoy, and that's Tom Hanks. And he said Tom Hanks's um, editor, Ben Bradley, says it twice in different phrasing. He says, the only way to protect the right to publish is to publish. But my question from an ethics standpoint is, is it right to publish this classified information and share it if it exposes government lies? Is Dan a hero? And to that end, does that mean that someone like Snowden is a hero? Because essentially he has done something in a very similar manner. Or does the press, do all citizens have a responsibility 
not to share that information publicly because of the classified nature of it. Where do you land on that side on on this ethics debate? Well, I think there's it's a it's a it's a heavy question for sure, and I like that the movie causes me to wrestle with this. The book that you gave me, uh, Superman and Philosophy actually opens up a little bit by talking about levels, not levels, but different types of ethics. And it, it, it highlights three specific types of ethics. One, and I, I can't bring them out of the book with me, but in general, what it's talking about is the fact that there's these ways in which people approach ethical dilemmas. There's the approach of like, this is right. This is wrong. And then there's the other one is like, this is wrong, but I I have to do it in order to better the people around me, make a more altruistic decision. And then there's the third that I think is either a combination of that or something. I haven't gotten into the details, but what it did was it, it caused me to think about that as I was watching this. There's, and the thing that I came to the conclusion was that there's lawfully wrong and then there's ethically wrong. And I feel like, yes, it was illegal and absolutely lawfully wrong in what Dan did. This was a classified set of documents. It was a, it was a study that was never meant to be published and be given public knowledge. And, or at least at the time it wasn't intended that to went out as it was written. And so, yes, he was legally wrong for that. However, there was a greater moral dilemma that I think was identified by him. And that's that, people were losing their lives because of these secrets. They were fighting for a cause that was not there. They were fighting for something that was not true. And in that regard, I think you're going to get more people erring on the side of the, the, the morally ethical side, as opposed to the lawfully right or wrong. And uh, so I, I think it, it, it plays with both of those. I almost would have liked to have seen the other side of it a little bit more so I could have some sympathy, I guess you could say for that. But I, I could see more of the, the ethical dilemma being, being heightened. Right. And I, and, and I agree completely with that. And I like that there, that you're able to make that distinction between the moral and the lawful side um, because morality while always inevitably based upon a person's individual truth um what they feel is their truth is a lot more objective in many ways than the law. <laughs> and I, 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 has, I, I know that sounds weird probably, but we don't necessarily have input into the laws. We have input into electing people that make the laws, but once that happens, those laws are put into place and we don't get to always have a say in that. We don't get to, to, to make that choice. And so that law does not necessarily it doesn't it, it could be protecting something that morally doesn't need to be protected and i agree with you and i kind of i think i side with you too that that in this case i believe that the right thing is accomplished um there's there's a line by dan when he's talking to bob odenkirk's character um why am i blanking on his name where uh, he says, wouldn't you go to prison to stop this war? And the response is theoretically, <laughs> and, and you know, that made me chuckle. Um, but 
it's it's kind of serious you know like my dad was in vietnam right and so how would i feel differently if my father had had lost his life along with the the thousands that did mm-hmm. and it was simply because we didn't want to lose face like really like i mean that would be not be something i could i could stomach and so i think that these guys and and this group i think they made the right choice and I do think that what they risked um, for the sake of maintaining the First Amendment's right was very important. What do you – that line I used earlier um, about protecting the right to publish by publishing, do you agree with that or do you think there are – I guess do you think there are any exceptions to this? I I don't know if there are any exceptions per se. I feel like it's along the lines of asking forgiveness over permission – which has done quite a bit that you know you're going to do something that's quote unquote wrong, but you're one going to accept the consequences. And two, once it's out there, you can't put it back in there. You can't put it back in. Once Pandora's box is open, you can't go back. And I think for these guys, they felt like to publish was one, it was their right to do so uh, constitutionally but two, they had a moral obligation to the people. Now, that being said, um, I don't know if there are any exceptions. I don't know if this was an exception because you could definitely make the argument that anytime you find out a piece of information that you think the public needs to hear and you're on your, in your press, well, that's what we've gotten with social media. I mean, the, the sexual assault allegations. I mean, it seems like through a tweet, somebody can make a quick allegation for about somebody else. And all of a sudden it's now news and nothing's been confirmed. Nothing's been corroborated. You know, it, all this stuff is sort of just out there. And I feel like in the world of digital media, we have more of those one. I think we have more of a responsibility to be discreet with the news that we share and at the same time, be more diligent in how we push that media out there. So I, I don't know that there's an exception uh, because really it comes down to um, to what a, a group of people or an entity feels like needs to be shared with the public when it comes – if we're talking specifically about the press. I don't know if you're asking about any other situations about you know sharing in general. or No, I'm, I'm more asking about the press. And I think yeah. – I think that the distinction here is really in how it's handled. And of course we see them wrestle with this deeply. This is not a, a quick decision where the, the scene by Meryl Streep, right? That at the very end when she's deciding whether or not to publish, there is so much buildup to that moment because she's wavered. She's gone back and forth. She's, she hasn't decided Mm-hmm. And she's she's hearing from all of these different people, and and she's having to, to to judge the risk. So the film does a good job of showing us that these this press this this agency the the post this publication did its due diligence, and that's what does not happen all the time in the things that you're talking about. I agree, and that's that's what I'm saying. Is the problem? Yes, and I think that that K is. Uh, her character is is the I think the only one that that 
that waffles with it, that struggles with it because Tom Hanks character clearly does not. He wants to do this. Like, and I'm not saying that he's doing it like haphazardly. He's doing his due diligence. I mean, he said, we have the papers. Let's get started. We've got eight hours. And it's, that's different. I mean, that's doing your due diligence with the intent that you are going to publish. So there's that. And I think what Kay was dealing with was the fact that she didn't know if they should be publishing. So there was, there were two things happening here. One was being responsible as a press, as a, as a, as a newspaper to publish the truth in a way that was as objective as you can be by going through all these papers as much as you can in eight hours. And then there was the bigger picture, which was, do we actually do this? And I thought that was articulated really well throughout the movie because we clearly have Tom Hanks on one side. Yes, we're going to publish. And then there's this great, there's this great scene with, um, with Robert McNamara and Kay Graham when she goes to his house and they're having that conversation about the papers. And it showed this balance of him saying, this was a study that was never meant to be public. And she's like, but it's out there and I have a responsibility. And I think that conversation really painted a picture of both sides in the best way possible in the entire film. And so you have McNamara on one side saying, don't do it. Mm-hmm. And then you have Tom Hanks on the other side, his character saying, no, we're going to do this. And she's sitting right in the middle going, what should I do? So it's good. You know, one thing that I find interesting is while we are extremely reverential in this film about the Washington Post, and rightfully so, there's not a lot of specific attention given to the New York Times. And they're the first ones to do this, right? They're the ones that took the ball and ran with it in the beginning and had three months of prep. Right. So, I mean, I I guess what I'm saying is like, it's, there's something to be said about praising them as well, because without what they did, the post never would have had the opportunity for it to reach this point. Right. Does that make sense? Um, I mean, I know that they stopped when they got federally injuncted to stop and Mm -hmm. we don't know the post may have as well. It was a different situation. They never got told directly by a judge, hey, stop, you can't do this. They just did it and waited to find out if they got in trouble after the fact. Yeah. So I, I just want to – I mean I, I do think that it the film does does mention it briefly. There's a, that moment in, during the courtroom scene where Ben uh, and the editor or owner of the New York Times shake hands briefly and realizing that they've kind of won – and that they're not always going to be enemies, that there's, there's a, there's some like industry, <laughs> not niceness between them in that moment. I like, yeah. but I do think the New York times was pretty amazing too, in this situation. Well, yeah. And then the post was that way towards the other smaller papers that we found out near the end of the movie published their own, uh, their own stuff about the, about the, uh, the, the, the papers themselves. I absolutely uh, was having like this retweet thing going when I saw that happen. I was like, Oh my gosh, it's like old school retweeting is happening. Yeah, for sure. Cause that's what they were like. They were like oh, we got, they're republishing us. Well, that's exactly what's happening. Oh my gosh, this tweet went viral. That's, yeah. that's how it, that's how it happened. And just like now with that, when that happens, you can't take that back. Once the internet got a hold of it, it's, yeah. it's done. It's right. And now right. there's no, 
coming back from that for the government in this case. Mm-hmm. So do you think before we move on to, to Kay, I want to ask you about the timeliness because that, that word's thrown around a lot. They, this movie is timeless, not timeless, timely, and it is important or it is the movie we need right now because of our current political climate. Do you do you feel that way about it or did you think of it more of more as a I don't know, I guess I guess do you feel like an do you feel activated for the cause by the film? I feel like in the world of hashtag fake news, I feel more responsible to what I repeat to other people. Uh, Social media is a great example of that where someone will post a clickbait article and I'll immediately without even reading the article be like, Oh, I'm going to forward this or I'm going to share this because it says something that, you know, vaguely inspires me just from the, from the title instead of reading through the article and, and getting really to the bottom of what actually could be fake news anyway. And so for me personally, it's inspired me to be very careful, very cautious, very discerning about what I share with people and how I speak my worldview to other people. We recently had a, um, a shooting of a student in, in our hometown here in uh, North Little Rock, a high school student that, uh, that went to my wife's school where my wife works. And, you know, it, it's a, a young black man who was shot by, by police officers. It's not something that's been uncommon in, in our country. And so there's tension right now. And so, They've just released the video and there's all this stuff that's surrounding the situation. And so what it's telling me is be careful what you say to people, be careful how you say what you say to people and be sure that what you're saying is valuable to, to people you have these conversations with, because it's real easy to put a tweet out there that says something to the vein of supporting the victim or supporting the police or whatever. And what, what I'm understanding from a movie like this is that, it takes good news uh, and, and thoughtful news takes time to research and, and to get through and make sure that your facts are right. I love the fact that in this movie, twice, both by Catherine and by, I can't remember who else, um, the post is asked or Ben's asked, is this going to affect the lives of, of Americans? Is this going to put people in jeopardy? And he goes, absolutely not. I love the fact that that is at the forefront before they go to press that it's not about, Oh, we've got some great news. We've got this news. We got to share. We got to share it. No, it's about, we want to make sure that we're doing this for the right reasons. And that's where I'm at. So this movie is telling me, say what you say for the right reasons, not just because you have a piece of knowledge that you want to share or a soundbite. Right. Yeah. I love that. I love that you bring it up that way and you use that as a reference because I don't think that that's necessarily one of the primary things, thoughts that people are having coming out of this. And I hope that people will take the time to consider that it's not just about telling the secrets that the government has and letting the public know what hap- what they are. That's not just what it's about. It's about the fact that they didn't just post some hearsay phone call that somebody made over the phone and said, Oh, Hey, by the way, this is what's going on. Oh yeah. Let's put that in a headline. They had actual documents. Right, And it required them going out of their way to try and obtain those documents. And they weren't going to do anything without the actual documents. Right. Right. And so they had to have proof before 
they put that out. And I do think that that's a very important thing that we can take away from this. So the other part of this is really centered around uh, Kay Graham uh, being the inheritor of the post um, with her husband's passing. And it's kind of, you know, she's in the middle of selling the paper or shares to the paper. I guess they're going to, to some shareholders. Um, and, you know, how is that going to be affected by what they do in this moment? And just the fact that she is run, running this paper um, in her husband's absence as a woman, which was not common at the time. There's actually a great scene, I think, that really kind of encapsulates the entire era. And that's when there's this big dinner party and politics comes up at the dinner table and there's a bunch of men, a bunch of wives and the women immediately start to excuse themselves. And as they're walking into the other room, you can hear them discussing the current fashion and style. And it's just this very stereotypical moment that speaks to the separation of, of what men and women could or could not talk about what, what they were meant to do at the time. And so that's the era that, that Kay is living in. That's, that's what she's dealing with. Um, and I think watching her just develop this spirited strength throughout the picture was really that that's one of the most inspiring things to me because ultimately it, it was her decision in the end. And yet despite her ultimate confidence in running the paper herself, she was very nervous and had to struggle with like what she struggled greatly with what breaking the status quo would be. And so I really liked how the movie handled this. I didn't feel like it was heavy handed until the end. There's one scene that I don't really like. And that's at the very end of this movie where, well, not the very end, but toward the end of the film, when a female intern comes up to Kay as they're walking into the courthouse and she gives her this whole, you know, you're my hero speech, which is fine. I think we knew that. I don't think we needed to see it happen to know that she was inspiring other young women, but it goes one step further and it shows her being the intern being berated by her male boss and kind of treated like crap. And I just thought, uh, now you're you're kind of you're really trying to show too much. Like you've done such a good job <laughs> up until now. I didn't care for that, but the message I was behind. Yeah, Kay's a a woman as she's depicted in this movie. I, again, I know nothing about her, so if this is the only snapshot I get of Kay Graham, I'm incredibly impressed. Uh, she is a woman who surrounded herself with people who were wise, who were smarter than her, who had advice to give her. And over the course of the movie, where I think the pivot point for her came when she told uh, Ben to go, let's publish, let's do this. The timidity and confidence kind of combined in her voice when she says that, I think was the moment that if there was a connecting point, that would have been mine. <laughs> I was about to say, if there was a connecting point, that that would be mine as well. Because we see a shift in her. We see her saying, yeah, "Go, yes, let's let, let's go. Let, let let's." Do. I mean, it wasn't it wasn't an overly dramatized "go, let's do this," and it wasn't a um, okay, go. It was a kind of a combination of this. If I've got to be the one to make the decision, 
I'm going to make the decision. And when you're put in leadership, you're forced to make those decisions. And I like that we see that growth in her over the course of the, over the course of the film that, and at the same time, we don't see a change in who she is as a character, as a person. We don't see her as a, as a weak woman turning to a strong woman. We see her as a woman who loved her husband and who loved the paper that her husband was in charge of. And I think that that to me sits in the back of my mind throughout this whole movie, because there are a couple of moments where she's just looking at the picture of, of, of him. And I think that he gives her strength. His memory gives her strength as she's going through. She wants to see the paper succeed, not so that she can be like this incredibly empowered woman, but because it's important. It's important to her. It's important to her family. And she, uh, she just empowers that with her character throughout the movie. I agree. And I love, love, love what you mentioned and what you brought up about how she always is asking advice. There's one great scene where she's talking to Bob McNamara and she tells him, she says, I'm, I'm here asking your advice, not your permission. And it's that, that strength, right? And that she is just such a great picture of leadership to me, the way she leads this team, the way she trusts in the people around her, she listens to them. She takes in their opinions, but she ultimately the buck stops at her. And so she knows that she's going to make the decision. She doesn't let them make it for her. And this is just who she was. That's the most amazing part of this to me. Not surprising. Don't confuse that word. Amazing that we don't need her to step up because she's a woman and so she needs to go do this thing. This is just who she is. Man, woman, she is just this way. She is a person of character, a person with great leadership skills, and they shine through in this very, very big moment in American history. And thankfully, she was the one that was a piece of this, and the results turned out the way they did. I was going to say that Ben Bradley and Kay Graham's relationship was just set up perfectly from the very beginning when they're having breakfast. And you see their dynamic together when they're talking about not getting invited to the Nixon wedding. And at one point she starts kind of going off and encouraging him, you should get, you know, send a woman there, send a woman there. And, and he's like, okay, get out of my, basically get out of my face. <laughs> and what we get is this great picture of what their relationship is like, because later on, we never see him talk down to her. We always see him as looking at her as, as an equal in terms of she's my boss, the buck stops with her, as you said, and I'm going to listen to whatever she says. Now, I'm going to be as influential as I can. And he's very, very uh, dominated when it comes to that and very strong-willed. But at the end of the day, we see how much Ben respects Kay for her position. And I think that respect grows as a result of, not because she made the decision to publish, but because of that conversation that she had afterwards about um, being confronted about the investors pulling out and her saying, you know, the prospectus also talks about how we are responsible as a press for the people and the integrity of the country. And I think him hearing that gave him more, gave him more reason to respect her even more, not just because she was his boss, but because she believed in what the paper was about. Right. Yeah. They both did. They had that definitely that, that shared passion um, and desire to, to use it for the right reasons. And they trust in each other. They both, right. they know their roles. They yeah. knew their roles, you know? Yeah. Um, 
and it's amazing to see two two leaders with such a close friendship as well when uh, that's not really a common thing these days in America <laughs> to my knowledge right um, being friends with your boss is not one of those, those well yeah like, and and the chemistry comes from two actors who actually have that same kind of persona they are big name actors and so they have the ability you know two big names on screen sharing that you're almost talking about a parallel here of like <laughs> how can these big names share the same space because they're just that big. And, and I thought they were fantastic together. Oh, the acting in this is amazing. And even beyond them, you know, we had great performances by Bob Odenkirk, little, little spot performances. Bradley Whitford is in this Bruce Greenwood, Sarah Paulson, Tracy Letts, who is somebody that I just discovered this year. And he's kind of blown me away with all of his little performances into various films. It, this cast is just, it's stellar. Um, I voted for this actually in the Seattle Film Critics Award as the best ensemble cast because I, I loved every single performance in it. I thought they all nailed them. Um, I love the moments when they're all collectively together dealing with the, trying to sort through the papers in Ben's house. Um, some of the great moments. I, I really, I just have to mention that I love the family stuff in this movie mm-hmm. because it is very high octane. It It drives forward at a high pace it's 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 more spotlight than all the president's men in all the president's men it really kind of takes a slow steady look at the procedural this one is faster and there's these great family moments like um ben's house with his wife coming in to bring them sandwiches and him telling them all that they better buy lemonade from his daughter you know, and, and teaching him about inflation, the price has gone up and it's just so <laughs> cute. And then Meryl has those same kind of family moments with her daughter. Mm-hmm. There's a couple scenes, one where she's brushing her hair and they're, they're reminiscing about JFK. And there's another one where she's reading the, the notes that she, her daughter had given her to take to the speech that she had to give. Mm-hmm. Um, and, or was it a speech or was it speaking at her husband's funeral? One of the two, I can't remember which one, but she, she was, she was speaking um, and gosh, they're just, they're so meaningful. There's like those little moments that these people have in their everyday real lives. There's another right. one with Ben and his wife where she's painting mm-hmm. and we see, oh, hey, look, his wife is not just a side character. She's not there just to bring sandwiches. Like she has passions and creativity and we see him supporting her. We see him encouraging that in her. One of the, my favorite things to see in movies. Yeah. So I, I love that Spielberg integrated and wove those into this well to touch back on aaron sorkin i think that's what he does well with his television shows like the west wing sports night um even studio 60 is he he ties them into a backdrop of like what's going on behind the scenes but it's more than that it's about the human connection that we have with these characters because we see their family life we see what happens after work hours and they're their personal connection with each other. It's not just about politicians or just about a newspaper room or about a, about a, um, you know, a, a, a sports anchor thing. It's about people. And when you have that family touch, you get more empathetic towards these characters. I love the fact that we have support in so many different ways for each one of these guys, for Catherine and for Ben from their families. And there's a moment when, when Ben's wife, he's taken off because he's, I think he's about to, oh, it's, it's when he finds out about the papers, right? Yeah. And he's, and he's, 
Hey, where are you going? He's like, well, he's, he says, okay, yeah, be over here. Uh, be over here tomorrow. And she overhears the conversation and he takes off. He's like, wait, well, where are you going? I mean, are p- people are coming over. Do, do I need to make something? What's going on? He says, no, don't worry about it. We'll work that out later. And she goes, well, but where are you going? He goes, I got to go. I- I'm going out. And he says, love you, bug. And he just leaves. Yeah. And, and the next thing we see is her bringing in sandwiches. You know, okay, well, this is my husband's life and whatever's happening, I'm going to support him in that. But that wouldn't matter as much if we didn't get the other scene of him and her in her art studio right. and we get a full complete picture of their family. And I, I think that just adds more weight to wanting to care more about their cause and, and what they're, what they're fighting for. Totally agree, man. Totally agree. And I'm glad that you saw that too. So there's, there's two, two big quotes I want to end us with uh, because I thought that they were very impactful and they both come toward the end of the film. One is Graham and Bradley in the, the printing press room. Which, by the way, I'd be remiss if I did not mention that one of my favorite moments in this film, it's pretty brief, but there is like an action sequence of a printing press in 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 effort, in action. So okay. good. I freaked when I saw that. I was like, is this really happening right now? This is amazing. I mean, I, I'd never seen a printing press like working like that before. And it just, it, the way it was shot, I thought it was in Dunkirk or something. It was amazing. Um, but there's this moment where, Graham and Bradley are in this printing room at the end, and she says, we don't always get it right. We aren't always perfect, you know? But if we just keep on it, that's the job, isn't it? And I thought that that was so inspiring, right? But the acknowledging right there that they're going to make mistakes, but that they're doing this for the right reasons, that their heart is in the right place, and... They have to keep trying and they have to keep doing it. Um, I just really like that. And Justice Black's opinion, that moment when the newsroom comes together and she picks up the phone and she's repeating it back to the whole room and just everything is still, everything is quiet. And what Justice Black's opinion read was the founding fathers gave the free press the protection it must have to fulfill its essential role in our democracy. The press was to serve the governed, not the governors. And that is what this was all about. Perfect, perfect response, in my opinion, uh, from the judge. And I think that that is pretty much indisputable uh, evidence going forward for how we approach the First Amendment. Yeah, there's definitely some abuse that can can be can be made from that and has been made from that. But I think that the spirit of that still lives and should still live on the fact that the people are the ones that are, are being supported by the press because we need information in order to make better decisions as a democracy. So I love that quote. It'd be nice if we had one that's very similar that said the governed were to govern the people and not themselves. (laughs) Or I'm sorry, I'm sorry. The governed were to serve the people and not themselves. (sighs) Hashtag Um, mic drop right there. That's, that's the way. We need that to read these days. So, <laughs> all right, man. Well, this has been great. Um, I love that we got to talk about this one. It's a, an excellent film and definitely one of my favorites of 2017, I guess, early 2018, however we want to classify it. <laughs> Where can people continue this conversation with you or follow up online? Uh, you can find me on social media. I'm at Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Shoeless Patch, S-H-O-E-L-E-S-S-P-A-T-C-H. 
uh, feel free to at me about anything from talking about this movie to past movies to anything that you find that I might be interested in. Um, wanted to let you guys know that we are continuing Kubrick month next week with 2001, a space odyssey. So uh, looking forward to talking about that and hope you guys tune in for it. Me as well. The first episode on the shining came out a few days ago and that was a lot of fun. It was awesome to explore Kubrick. And I think going through this filmography and specifically the films that we chose, because we really went for a different range of his styles and different kind of genres. I think it's going to be excellent. And 2001 is going to be a challenge as well to talk through. So maybe we'll get some clarity on that ending. Who knows? Tune in to find out. <laughs> as for me, uh, you can find me all over social media at Aaron L. White, A-A-R-O-N-E-L-W-H-I-T-E. You can find me active in our amazing Facebook discussion group where everyone is talking every single day about movies with each other. We'd love to have you come join that as well. And I also want to say tune in next week for our first ever Connecting with Classics episode. This is going to be an ongoing series from myself and Don Shanahan where we start working our way through some of the movies in the AFI Top 100 list. Those classics that we think need to be revisited and need to be discussed. It's going to be a little bit of a different format, but it's going to be a lot of fun. And the first episode is going to be covering all the president's men, which I think is really cool because in the post, in the end, the very final scene is literally a shot for shot remake of the beginning of all the president's men. So we did that on purpose and it'll be nice to see how that classic film differs from what we saw in the post, even though they're both amazing. Uh, they have many differences as well thank you so much for listening as always we really appreciate it share the show with your friends if you enjoy us until next time stay positive and keep feeling filled.